Hey, Connected fam, here we are for another episode. And for those who are following us on our Facebook and Instagram accounts, you will know that the episode for this week is called Casey Neistat and Peter McKinnon, Divorce in the Making. Uh, Today, I want to look a little bit at what it looks like when opposites attract in ministry, in friendship and in marriage. And yeah, maybe just sharing with you the observations that I have made as I looked at those combinations and also... Yeah, maybe the the issues that um, opposites attracting brings in those three areas. So let's get into this week's episode. So listener appreciation for this week is from Instagram. I told you guys I was going to bring, um, I was going to give the appreciation award to someone from Instagram. So this week I want to give uh, the listener appreciation to uh, Danielle underscore Rose O one. Uh, she is one of the youth from our church in Jinjin. And yeah, she is very active in supporting the podcast on Instagram. So thank you, Danielle, for all your likes uh, on our Instagram account. I do want to give a little bit of a, I don't know, acknowledgement to Danielle. Uh, she has a, I don't know if you'd call it a digital ministry. Maybe it is like a digital ministry, but for at least the last two years, Danielle has been uh, texting a group of people from all over this area of um, our region and she texts um, an opening Sabbath message or a Friday night uh, text message to a whole bunch of us and you know for people might think you know oh it's just a text message but I must say the way that uh, her text message is affecting people and impacting them um, is something that I think sometimes we do underestimate what a simple text message can do. I have heard at least three sermons by three different people where they have mentioned a text message that they received from Danielle and how that text message really spoke to them and how much they appreciated what she was doing. So I really want to, um, yeah, just give her a shout out because I think it is one of those things that we can be active in our faith in so many ways, more than just giving a Bible study or sharing a glow track. Uh, there's so many ways. So I'm going to give you the last three text messages from the last three weeks that I have received from Danielle just so you get an idea of sort of what her messages are like so it says something that I have been thinking about lately regarding the time I choose to spend with God too distracted not too busy the next one is Christianity is not about what you do but about who you know and the last one is each one of us is an innkeeper who decides if there is room for Jesus uh, so yeah, so I just, yeah, thanks Danielle for your messages. Thank you for being so dedicated uh, to sharing your faith um, in such a relevant way. I really appreciate it. Okay, so let's get into this episode. Uh, for those who do not know who Casey Neistat is, because I did not know who he was, I had heard of Casey on other people's YouTube videos, but I never really I mean, I probably watched like one video just to try and work out who this guy was. Um, But recently in preparation for launching my YouTube video, my YouTube channel, I started researching a little bit more of like really popular vloggers or really popular YouTubers and Casey Neistat just kept coming up um, in my search results. So I decided I better a bit of attention to this guy and more than anything not so much for his content but maybe just the way he structured his videos um and yeah sort of also looked at the topics that he recorded videos on so but before I got on before I found Casey I found Peter McKinnon uh Peter McKinnon the guy has an incredible skill and a gift for videography So he creates some videos that are just breathtaking. Um, He likes mountains. He likes climbing mountains. He likes going on adventures through nature. And he just, yeah, takes video footage and puts it all together and and makes... It's almost like a short documentary. Um, Yeah, so maybe check out his stuff. It's pretty good. Um, So I found Peter McKinnon. 
and I was like, man, this guy, the skill, again, it was for research for my YouTube stuff. And then I came across Casey and I looked at some stuff that Casey does. Casey's a very different approach. Um, Casey is he expresses a lot more of his personality because it's more like a vlogging where Peter McKinnon does like a doco. So it is different in the way that their videos are made. Um, but anyway, the reason why I want to talk about them for this episode is that at some point they started collaborating. So they started working together and doing videos. Now, from what I watched, and again, I'm not like I'm not a fan. I mean, I mean, in the sense that I don't know their full content. Um, I really appreciate their stuff and I think it's really cool. And I did find myself being like, oh, I wonder if Casey's got a new video. So I am watching some of their stuff. Um, but what I mean is I'm not a fan in the sense that I know everything, like the scope of their work. I don't know what video they did. Um, so yeah, so I did watch a collaboration that they did and one thing that really stood out for me, which I almost was like, I could do a podcast episode on this, was that Casey, who has, oh, I don't, let me double check. Um, I'm not sure how many subscription he has, but he has a decent amount. And out of the two between Casey and Peter, Casey has the biggest subscription um, on on YouTube. So I think he has like four, oh, Okay, let me not, let me just look it up and give you proper information. So I think Casey, okay, so Casey has 11.7 million subscribers and I'll just find out, just find out for you how many Peter has. Um, so what I found was really, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool is that Casey actually organized a collaboration with Peter. All right, Peter McKinnon has 4.6, oh, 4.1 million subscribers, but Casey called, I'm assuming they called, Casey contacted Peter and wanted to do a collaboration video because Casey wanted to learn some of Peter's videography skills and yeah, he wanted, Casey wanted to start doing his videos maybe a little bit more like Peter or he wanted to learn aspects of Peter's um, video skills and he wanted to incorporate that into his videos. Long story short, they did a collaboration. I watched it and I must tell you, I watched it and I don't know why, but the biggest things that I picked up in the first video, which was a video that is called, um, I taught Casey how to YouTube or I taught Casey how to vlog. And I'm looking at it and it's incredible because I don't know if I'm just more sensitive to this because for me, I'm like, man, I've made some bad choices in my life. Um, but all I could see was I'm like, these guys are opposites. Like they're so different in the way that they do life. I'm like, this is so funny. So one example, like I had tons in my head, but now I've actually forgotten a whole bunch of them. I just gone blank. But one example is, um, Casey likes to eat healthy. Casey likes to eat uh, really healthy. He looks after his health. And Peter doesn't really care too much about his health. He doesn't eat absolute junk either. But from what I watched in other videos, like he's happy to just eat whatever. Where Casey's constantly seems to be going to like healthy place, eating salads, eating, you know, wraps. He just goes for much healthier options. So that really stood out for me. There's another thing that stood out. Um, so they're in like Amsterdam, I think, for this particular video that I was watching, which was the first video that I saw with the collaboration. And um, Casey wakes up really early and he's going for a run. And so obviously they've organized that Peter's going to join him for the run. And Peter shows up for the run. Now Casey's in like running gear. So he's in shorts, in his shirt. He has like running shoes. And Peter's, <laughs> Peter's in the clothes that he was wearing the day before, which is jeans, a hoodie, a jacket, and just sneakers. So they're running through Amsterdam and Peter in the video, he cracks me up because he's like, it's so early, like, Casey, who does this? Look. And he's like panning and showing the streets. It's absolutely empty. And Peter's like, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and making this up as I go, clearly. Um, but Peter's like, no one's out here because people don't do this this early in the morning people are supposed to be sleeping and he's like look there's no one around anyway they do that so I really picked up on that I'm like wow Casey's really into his fitness he's really healthy he's 
disciplined to the point where the guy gets up early and I think they had a late night the night, be- after, the night before and then Peter's like who does this like why would you spend your time doing this um there was another th- there was another scene that cracks me up so Peter McKinnon is very like with his gear with his camera and his equipment he's very tidy and he's very careful with it so there's a He goes, there's one section where he's like ready to go to sleep, but he's like, I need more footage for the video. So he's, he's, he's basically vlogging, vlogging, and he has a camera in front of his face. And he's just like, look, don't you, don't you all hate it when you pack up your gear all in its proper compartments. And then you decide you need to record again and you need, you have to pull everything out and you've just, you know, made sure that everything was where it was, where it needed to be, you know, before you go to sleep and now you got to pull it out. So he's talking about how, how frustrated he is. And then I don't know if it's in this video or in another video. Peter's like, this is this makes me sick. They're in a car and they're, tri- they're driving to the airport or they're driving to the next location. I don't know what it is. But he's like, he's like, Casey, like, I can't handle this. And he shows a scene, like he gets the camera and shows uh, and focuses on Casey's backpack where his gear is so some um videographers like they have a backpack that is all set up for storing all your camera stuff so it's just more compact and you know you can carry it on your back so he shows the backpack where Casey has all his gear packed and the main compartment is just full of cables it's full of plugs it's full of just wires like all you can see is cable and wires and they're all mixed in, they're all messed up, and Casey's like, well, this is the way I sort my stuff out, I just stick all my cables and charges and wires in one compartment of my bag, and it's all a mess, like it's a mess, guys, and then he's like, and then I stick the cameras in another part, in another part of the bag, or in another bag, so one bag has cameras, one bag has wires and cables, and Peter just like, he puts the camera back on his face, like in shock, almost disgust. Like, how could you do that? You know? So I picked up on that. And again, like through the video, all that seemed to like, it just stood out to me is like, these guys are so opposite. And I'm going to look at three aspects of how I believe. And I have seen that when we, you know, everyone says the line opposites attract and I believe opposites do attract. However, I think that we have to be very careful in thinking that because opposites do attract on whatever level that you want it to be, uh, that we have to be very careful how we navigate through those differences and how we combine those differences so that it doesn't actually create a really dysfunctional unsatisfying unfulfilling relationship whether it is in those three areas ministry friendships and marriage um so i am going to give you some examples honestly oh there was another thing that because i really that was i just laughed at that because i could think it was me and my best friend so they're getting ready to leave so they're going to the airport and they're getting ready to leave and Casey hasn't packed his bag and I think they had like 15 minutes to go before they had to be downstairs at the entry, the foyer of the hotel so that the car could take them to the airport. Casey hasn't packed. It's 15 minutes left. Peter is packed. The guy is ready. He literally has like his backpack on his bag. He's ready to go and he shows footage of Casey like running around like crazy getting things from all over the hotel place because he's left one thing here he's left one thing over there there's stuff underneath the bed he's left stuff in the bathroom and he's just running around throwing everything into the bag now I can into his suitcase I can imagine Peter's suitcase everything is like folded perfectly everything is in its place and Casey's just throwing things in and they're about to leave and Peter (laughs) says in this voice he's like Casey, are you going to take the GoPro? And Casey looks and he'd left a GoPro camera on the bedside table that he hadn't even seen. And yeah, so Casey's always leaving last minute. If you see some of his other videos, he's always rushing. He's always last minute. He's always getting ready. Like you just don't leave such little time to get ready for anything. Um, 
that one stood out and Casey's always very careless with equipment like the guy breaks things the guy loses things in one of the videos that they did a collaboration he has a drone and it was like some new fancy drone and he's taking footage just above the ocean like above the sea and he's getting close to the shore and there's waves and he gets so close to the waves to the water that a wave actually sucks his drone into the water and he loses it. And he's just like, yeah, man, you know, I was so annoyed because, you know, I was getting such good footage and then, you know, it sucked it up. Next thing, he's like, Peter, can I use your drone? And Peter, who takes care of all his equipment, in my head, I'm like, Peter, don't do it. You're going to lose it. And of course, Peter's like, yeah, for sure, takes it out. But I can just imagine like Peter must have been like, oh, Casey, you better not lose this drain. And in, you have a look through Casey's videos, like Casey is very careful. He breaks things, drops things. Like to open things up, he rips boxes instead of just getting like scissors or a knife and cutting off the masking tape. Like he just rips the box open. So very different again. All right. So how does this apply to ministry, friendships and, you know, marriage and relationships and I yeah so again I think we have to be really careful and my biggest concern and I think because I have just seen it in my life that there is definitely a degree of opposites attract we are attracted to people who aren't like us and I believe that when we fall for that I'm not going to call it a trap because I don't think it's a trap But when we fall for people like that, whether it is for ministry or in relationships, I think we really need to understand what implications that will have. So in regards to our interests, in regards to our hobbies, and then when it's in a relationship, in regards to our love language, and also in regards to who we are and our identity. So let's go into ministry. I am one of those people, okay, I'll be totally straight up with these. Like I am like a Casey Neistat when it comes to ministry. I am very careless. I am very impulsive. I am very like last minute. That's just how I am. So I already know that I have to be very sensitive that when I work with someone who likes a lot of time to know things in advance, someone who likes to do a roster, a schedule, a timeline, a program, I have to be really sensitive when people are that kind of way to not cause my personality and my way of doing ministry to affect the way that I work in a team. As a result, I'll be totally honest with you, I often don't do a lot of team projects because I am not organized enough to do that even though like people that have worked, like I've worked in team things, but if I have to choose between me doing 10 things or me being organized enough to delegate and to work with 10 other people to do those 10 things, I am going my first preference. Let me just do the 10 things. I believe that God has made my personality to be able to handle the 10 things. So I don't really need your help because I'm not capable of doing the job. However, I have to address the fact that when I have people in the church that I am working with, or if I have people working with me on a particular program or outreach ministry, I have to be really sensitive that there are people that want to be involved, but because I'm not organized enough, I'm not actually letting them contribute to that project or that outreach ministry. So that is something that I, I yeah, just want to let everyone know that maybe there are things that as we work in ministry that we have to be sensitive of how our personality and how our way of doing things can affect the involvement of other people. Um, and on the flip side, I will give you that sometimes people are so organized um, and they want everything to be like so in its place that some people can't work in that. Some people, I I'm, I don't have issues with that. Like if you want to give me a task, roster me on, I don't have issues with that. I'll work with that. Hopefully I'll remember that I'm rostered on that day. Um, but yeah, sometimes people will be like, you know what? I don't want you to put me on a roster. I don't want you to give me uh, tasks that you, it's, it's two months before the event and you want me to have this information or you want me to have 
this stuff ready for you in a week when we still have like two months before the event. So I think we have to be really sensitive to that. So for example, like how I work with that in in the leadership positions that I have in my church currently, um, I know when someone cancels on me last minute uh, for whatever reason, whether they're sick, you know, we've had um, our Sabbath school teacher, uh, her car broke down one Sabbath, one Friday afternoon. She rang me Friday afternoon. She's like, I can't come into Sabbath, into do Sabbath school, the Sabbath school lesson tomorrow for the kids. Can you please some find someone to help me? In those situations, it's me. Like I'm the one that's going to be doing that because I know that there are people in my church that they can't do that last minute. They need time to prepare. They need to be able to um, prepare a craft. Some people like psychologically, they need to prepare for them, prepare themselves to have a lesson like a week in advance. Um, so I know the situations of based on how I have assessed or evaluated the different people that are in my team, I know who I can call last minute and I know who I need to give a certain amount of notice for them to, yeah, be able to get all their stuff together. They just, they, they struggle and they stress and they worry and they don't feel like they're capable if I put them in a position where it's all last minute. So that's, that was what I wanted to sort of bring out in regards to ministry. I think that also there is, um, a certain degree of when people work in different ways, when people have a different personality in trying to organize things or how they run Sabbath, um, I think we have to be really sensitive that one, if our leader, if God has placed that person in that position and if our leader works a certain way, I believe that there is a degree in which us as team members have to try and work with them how they lead and at times that can be a little frustrating because if they lead in a way that you necessarily wouldn't lead um, it can make you like get annoyed and frustrated and whatever Um, but at the same time I think we just have to honor the fact that God has placed them in that position and where to work together but I also want to add to that that just because I'm in a leader leadership position does not mean that I cannot learn to do things differently and it doesn't mean that I just ignore the fact that my team is made up of people that are very different to me I have to be also very willing to accommodate for them and to make allowances for what their preference is if their preference is three months in advance to give them notice let me do that let me coordinate things let me make a roster that is for three months so that they can see where they are in the position. Um, let me see whether they're available or not. Um, let me understand that, you know, they they travel, they work, they have commitments in other churches. Let me accommodate for that and give them as much notice as I can so that they can also give me as much notice as they can when they're not able to make it to certain things. Um, that's just one example that just seemed like the easiest example and the clearest example to to give you. But yeah, I think sometimes we have to accept the fact that as opposites attract and as you work in ministry with opposites that there are aspects of them that we can learn from and that the more that we can learn from the opposites the closer that it brings us to the middle and I think balance is the key in all aspects of our spirituality and I believe that it is the balance that balance is a key to us um, in leadership and working with people uh, in our church as well Uh, so that's something that I yeah wanted to share with you in regards to ministry now friendships and relationships what is the go with um with opposites in that now I must tell you like I watched Casey and Peter's videos and all I could think of was me and my best friend for those who know my best friend um people meet when people meet me and Jordan and they are like you guys are best friend like there's almost like this shocked face their jaw drops a little bit um and they're like confused we are very opposite uh, apart from the fact that she's like Korean and tiny like petite (laughs) short she doesn't like being called tiny, but she is. And I'm Hispanic. Like there's just physical difference. There's character differences. There's differences on so many levels. I think until you know me and her, you'd be like, 
you can't be that different. No, we're very different. And it's basically like Casey and Peter. Like that is exactly like our differences. Um, and I think, and it's really interesting because I, as I go into friendships now, and honestly, like I've never really had close friends. So yeah, like Jordan is my best friend and I haven't had a best friend for a really long time um, just because of the way that I was doing my life. So when I, I, now that I, when I go into friendships and based on just the opposites that are found within my friendship with Jordan, there is such a contrast that like Casey and Peter, I'm like, those contrasts may seem okay now. Like you might think like those contracts, the contrasts aren't that drastic. They don't have such an imp. They don't have any impact maybe at this point in their friendship, but you guys will get on your nerves. And I believe that at some point within even our friendships, um, contrasts and opposites of personality and of way of doing life, it at one point will get on your nerves and you will have to deal with it. Um, I have four really close, close friends. So in that is my best friend and I have three really close friends. And as I, as I evaluate all my friendships, I'm like, there are so many aspects within those friendships those four close friendships that I'm like, man, we are so opposite. And I'm like, but why am I still close friends with these people? Like if, if the opposites are so drastic and they're so drastic, I'm like, why are we still close friends? Why do we still enjoy each other's company? Why are we still not each other on each other's nerves when we have been friends and close friends for a really long time? And as I tried to work out, I'm like, maybe opposites isn't that bad what I did try what I did as I've I've just wrestled and tried to figure it out I realized but you know what the opposites that we have in comparison to the things that we have that are similar the opposites the things that we have that keep us as close friends outweigh the opposites like by 10 degree like 10 levels um that things that do bind us together are so much stronger than those opposites that I believe that depending on the combination of friendships that we have, depending on, you know, who we choose to hang out with, who we we choose to um, do our hobbies, recreation, um, based on who we pick for those things, I believe that if the bond and the things that we enjoy about each other are stronger and are more dominant than the opposites, I think then that is okay. I think that we actually, the the opposites are so insignificant to the relationship and to the friendship um, that it is, we can, we can sustain it. We can keep it going. But when opposites are way too different, when there are too many differences in the way that we invest our time, the way that we invest our emotions, the way that we invest in cultivating um, the relationship or the friendship, once those really key elements, those foundational elements are different, I believe that that is when you will get um, a higher degree of conflict and a higher degree of dissatisfaction within your interaction with those people um I yeah and I think the personality is really different as well so for example if I give you um out of my four close friends there are two of those friends that I believe we're very very different Uh, we have very different interests but my personality is I'll say people pleaser, but I'm so accommodating. I'm so accommodating that the elements in which we contrast, I can accommodate and just balance it out. I can be like, you want to go there? No worries. Like there's certain preferences that these two particular friends have that are very dominant and they are very like expressive of their preferences. And given my personality, I'll go with the flow. Like I'm just happy as long as I'm with you. I'm happy, like whether we're doing things that you want to do or that I want to do, I really don't care. I'm just happy to hang out with you. Like that is my love cup is filled because we're together. Um, So two of my friends are like that. Then I have two other friends who we're both the same. Like we don't 
need to express our preferences. I don't need you to do what I want you to do. We're just happy doing nothing. Um, So two of my friends, two of my really close friends were like that. And that works really well. We're probably more similar because of the fact that we both don't care. Like I'm happy to just chill on the couch for the next six hours and just talk, like have no issue. Or I'm happy to literally with two of my friends, we have no issue just sitting in front like across from each other at the dining table on our phones like and we're very happy we don't feel like oh you know you're not spending time with me none of that like two of my friends were like that and then the other two if I touch my phone while I'm around them like they're just like what are you doing you know I thought we're spending time together so very different but I can accommodate for those things now One thing that I will say, which is very interesting because I was never like, I never knew about love languages, like never um, until I met a friend and she was like, hey, so what's your love language? And I was like, my what? (laughs) I'm like, I had no idea there was a love language. And she was like, oh, well, since you don't know, how about you do the love language um, survey? So I did it. I'll test whatever it is. So I did it. I recommend everyone do that. Um, There are short ones and there are long ones. I did the long one because my friend at the time was like, just do this one because it'll probably be more accurate. The shorter ones, it's probably not as accurate. So I did it. It's very repetitive. The questions are very repetitive, but it's trying to get an idea of what your preference are in different different applications and different situations. So I did that and... I will honestly tell you for those that know me and for my close friends, you will know that I would happily say it gives you the your top three love languages. Oh, and I'm going to have to work out what the top three is because I mean, what all five languages are because I only know my top three. Um, so it gives you your top three love languages and my love language, honestly, it gave me top three. I feel I only need one love language as one, two and three. Um, so my first, my number one love language is physical touch. I, I love physical touch and I am a very physical person. I, yeah, yeah. For people that know me, know me well, I meet a stranger and I feel the need to somehow place my hand on their arm or their shoulder or like, that's just me. I find, um, I find connection in physical touch. So I, that's me. Like, seriously, I could love, like my love language, my top three could be physical touch, physical touch, physical touch. And I think that would be a very accurate representation of me. Um, But uh, my top three were physical touch, time, time is right up there. And I think the last one was... Let me see what they're, um, well, I think maybe like words of affirmation, I think was the third one. I only care about the two though. Trust me. <laughs> I might have, might, I might have had, might have had three love languages that are applicable to me, but I only care about the top two physical touch and time. So I'll tell you what they all are. So words of affirmation. So is that that's when someone like gives you compliments or they express themselves to acknowledge that they appreciate you, whether it is written, whether it is through like text message, whether it is through just expressing it to them um, like verbally and acts of service is like for people who feel Oh, so, okay, let me explain what they are and then I'll explain how that is applicable. Acts of service is uh, washing the dishes, washing my car, mowing the grass. Um, it's it's an act. You, you feel love and you demonstrate love through an act of service. Receiving gifts. I love giving gifts to people. Like I really like giving gifts to people, but I don't really like receiving them. Um, I'm not that fussy on you giving me gifts. And that is basically because I feel bad when people give me things that I don't like. Um, So yeah, that's probably the only reason why I don't have receiving gifts right up there, but I really like giving people gifts. Quality time, that means sitting with me, engaging with me for a quality time, not quantity, but quality. However, for some people, their quality time is based on quantity. So for me, I'm like... I want quantity, like I want six hours, 
I'm just needy like that. And then physical touch. That is whether it is um, someone just giving you a hug, whether it is someone rubbing your back, holding your hand, um, sitting close in close proximity to you. Um, yeah, like physical touch is your love language. Okay, so the important thing about love languages, which you may not, I should have explained that first. So you do this test or this survey and it tells you what are your preferences in relation to those three points. And they're a top and they'll give you your top three. Now, it is very important that <clears throat> the way that you feel loved is very different to the way that you love. Okay. So I love with words of affirmation. I am very expressive of how I feel about people. I'm very expressive of um, sharing with them that I love them, that I care about them, that they're important to me. I thank them for all the attributes that they that they have and how that is a blessing in my life. I'm very like that. Like I am one of those people that write like really like mushy, sweet kind of letters and cards and texts and emails and stuff like that. Like I just that that's me I don't necessarily need that back but I do like it I do appreciate it but if I was if I needed you to show me that you loved me it would be by your physical touch and by your time in addition to that a card's great a letter's great a text message is great but that's how I feel loved so what's important is and I will give you this comparison um probably I'll give you more of the comparison with Stevie with my husband rather than with my friends because I think (laughs) I must say I'm like God thank you my my four closest friends they're excuse me so two of their love languages number one is physical touch so that means that they like being touched and I like to touch so there are people that, you know, they just don't like people in their bubble. They don't like people close to them. They don't even like other people touching them in any way. Um, they don't like people putting their hand on their back, on their shoulder, on their arm. Like, they just don't like it. But thankfully, for two of my closest friends, they love it. Like, that is their top love language. So that is going to really work for us. It's going to work for our advantage. Um, I'm going to be able to demonstrate love and they're going to be very happy receiving my love. And they are also going to get to a point where they will demonstrate love in the same way that I like it, physical touch. That's their number one. And then my other two friends, my closest friends, their top love language is time, quality time, which works fabulous for me because I'm happy to sit with you for six hours because that makes me really happy and I feel really loved and you feel loved and you're going to give that back to me. So this thing's going to be fabulous. So when I think about like the pillars or the like the most essential things that I believe that you need in relationships, I believe if you can get those love languages like on par lining up, I believe that all the contrasts and all the other stuff you can work through it like you can you can you can manage it you can handle it um and I believe that that has been very applicable for my friendships I have really seen that um the priority of our love language have kept our friendship close and have sustained it for all these years um and with one of my closest friends like we've been friends for like 18 years 20 years um So yeah, that definitely is, that binds it, that keeps it together, that protects it, those love languages, um, I think have been really essential in sustaining our friendship and helping it to be so close and to create such a tight, tight friendship. Um, So I'll give you the contrast in marriage. So let's jump over to marriage because I think that's it um, for friendships. So my thing is quality time and physical touch this is where I believe opposites can become dangerous it can set you up for dissatisfaction and and a lack of love in a relationship whether it's in a friendship or whether it is in a marriage obviously when I met Stevie I had no idea about love languages Um, I was like 14 so I was pretty young Um, So I don't think I really even knew what I was doing with my life, let alone with 
Stevie. Um, but for example, this is one example where I believe this is where, yeah, it, it, yeah, you're setting yourself up for a little bit of heartache. Stevie's love language, top love language is acts of service. So Stevie will wash dishes for me. Stevie will hang the clothes for me. Stevie will vacuum for me. Stevie will do that to show me that he loves me. And that is really sweet. And I am so thankful that he does things like that because I know not everyone does that and not many husbands do that. So for me, I really appreciate it. I really value it. But does that make me feel loved? No, that doesn't make me feel loved because what makes me feel loved? Physical touch and time. So that is already going to set us up for issues, conflicts, disagreements. And Stevie's love language is um, acts of service and words of affirmation. Um, So anyway, so we have two different love languages as our priority and there's different ways of expressing that as well. So Stevie does not like physical touch. Um, obviously unless it's sexual, which does fine. Um, but he's not a physical touch person. He doesn't like people sitting close to him. He doesn't like me sitting close to him. He, he doesn't mind holding hands. It's not a big thing for him. Um, I remember I must've been like 16 and I always tell this story. So you must get sick of it, but it's just a demonstration of how different things are processed in our head when we have such different ways of demonstrating love. I remember I must have been like 16 or 17 and we were at church. And I remember that day I was like, you know what? I'm always the one that goes to hold Stevie's hand. He never goes to hold my hand. And I just picked up on it when I was 16, 17, whatever age it was. So I remember I went to church and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to hold this guy's hand. Like he's going to have to want to hold my hand, but I'm not going to initiate holding hands. I remember... The whole day at church, I'm just like waiting for him to hold my hand. He wouldn't hold it. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and he wouldn't hold it. I remember sitting, listening to the sermon and I had my hand on my leg and he had his hand on his leg. And I still visually have this image in my head from when I was 16, which is like 11 years ago. I have it and I'm watching and I'm looking and I'm like, what's the guy like why doesn't this guy want to like hold my hand and I'm watching his hand and my hand and how they're separate and I'm like what is the go with this like and I'm just so frustrated I didn't the whole sermon I'm like he's not holding my hand he's not holding my hand why doesn't he want to hold my hand and I think that's what's really really important is that we can perceive their lack of fulfilling our love language as rejection, as they don't love me, they don't need me, they don't want me. Why do they want me? Why do they? We can really perceive that really negative. And I believe that within relationships, it is going to really mess us up when we have been married for 40 years, 50 years, two years, and our love languages are so different. And I don't feel loved because you don't want to hold my hand. But for Steve, it's like, I don't want to hold your hand because I don't like holding hands. And that has, guys, for our marriage has created so much conflict, so much conflict that it has, I believe that when opposites attract, there is going to be such a greater level of compromise that is going to have to come from either end of whatever that opposite is. So for example, like I remember, I remember having a conversation one day and it was about physical touch and we're having a conversation and Stevie's like, but I do, you know, I do give you physical attention, affection. And in my head, I'm like, I'm like, grabbing my butt is not physical affection to me. Um, where he perceived that, oh, but I am physically touching you. Where I'm like, that's not the physical touch that I want. So we had to sit down and communicate and actually share with each other what my physical affection was that I wanted and that I was needing. And then Stevie had to be like, okay, cool, no worries. I'll try and give you that. But it takes a lot of effort for me to give you that because it doesn't come naturally to me. 
And it created a lot of vulnerability, like it made us really vulnerable and weak and there was a lot of, it was not a positive conversation because there was a lot of pain attached to it. Whereas I can guarantee you, I don't have to tell the four of my friends, like, I wish you were more physically affectionate with you, with me. I wish you sat closer to me. I wish you did this and did. It just comes so naturally that we all are just physically affectionate with each other. Like, and, and I will give you my example. So this is how physically affectionate I am for people that don't get it. So when my mom and I, like I'm 35, when my mom and I go shopping, we hold like we don't hold hands we hold like we link our um our pointing fingers and we walk the whole shopping center and do all our shopping with our fingers linked together um when mom the few times that mom has come here and we have been in the same car mom and i hold hands and by holding hands i mean hold hands like we hold hands it's not linking of fingers we hold hands for the four and a half four and a half hour road trip like I am very, I need to touch, if I love you, like, I need to touch you, um, that is just me, like, I will sit next to my friends, like, my close friends, and I am either rubbing my, they're rubbing their back, I'm either playing with their hair, I either have my hand on their shoulder, or I am, like, physically, we are tight, we are, like, butt up against each other, um, that is just how much physical touch, that's what I tell you, it should be just number one, two, and three, um, so for us in our marriage that has been so rough like so so rough and we're still trying to work that out I'm still trying to get to a point where I'm compromising on the fact that I would love to be physically touching and having some sort of physical contact with Stevie all the time I have to compromise with the fact that he doesn't like it he doesn't like me sitting close. He likes a gap in between us. And for me, that's perceived as rejection. For me, that's perceived as you don't love me. That's been perceived as like there's something wrong. It brings out really defective thoughts. But it's not. That's just, Stevie's just like that. Um, so that's another thing that I, yeah, I want to bring out. As you work out your love language and in the relationship that you're with, whether it is through your friendship or whether your romantic relationships, um, to really be sensitive to that, like what are your preferences? What are things that you really, really like and that you love and things that you need in order for you to feel loved? And how does your spouse give you that? And in addition to that, does your spouse know that? And how can you work together to find a place where you can do that? Now, after 21 years of marriage and a lot of pain and a lot of tears, I have come to accept the fact that I will never be physically affectionate with my husband as I will with maybe my mom or my friends. And it was painful, but now I'm really at peace because I un I have I've come to see my marriage in such a different way that I am okay with Stevie not providing for me in terms of physical touch, but I am very content with the fact that I can get that physical touch either through my daughters. Um, they're very like affectionate, extremely affectionate. People that know my daughters know that they are very affectionate as well um, to their friends, to each other. And yeah, I've realized, okay, that phys that need for physical touch and physical affection, I won't be able to get from my husband, which is a shame. It's, it's a real shame, but I will be able to get it from other ways. And so my love cup for physical affection gets filled from other ways in other people um, and through other relationships. And it doesn't with my husband. And there are things that Stevie will have to find as well that I won't be able to satisfy because I it's just not my personality that he will either have to compromise and come closer to the middle or he will have to be okay with the fact that I'm just not going to provide that for him but someone else may um and you know that that's that's the way that our marriage has worked out but it has worked out that way because we came into this relationship without realizing that we really need to be sensitive to our personality, our preferences, our love languages, and our interests, our hobbies. We didn't do that. Um, I was very immature at the time. I was 14. Uh, so the way that I looked into why I wanted to date Stevie was very immature. Uh, maybe one day I'll discuss all of that. Um, but 
it was very immature reasons and as a 14 year old I didn't think of what this was what my marriage with him was going to look like in my 30s in my 50s and in my 60s and yeah maybe that is the advice or the counsel that I would want to give anyone who is in a relationship or who is looking at um, beginning a relationship with someone is to really be intelligent Uh, be intelligent and be observant as to what this person looks like, what do they demonstrate in terms of the way that they express themselves, the way that they demonstrate love, uh, what are their interests, what are their hobbies, does that fit in with me, am I happy to join in in that if that isn't my interest and are they willing to join into my interests um, to accommodate for the fact that that's something that I like. I believe that within marriage and this is just me, my opinion, observation, Women often compromise a lot on their interests to accommodate for men. And I'm not being very broad. So men, male listeners, I'm not throwing all of you in there. Some men are not as willing to compromise and to be involved in their wife's or their girlfriend's interest. For example, I'm very stereotypical, but let's say if your girlfriend or wife's interest is shopping. I don't see many men who are like, yeah, I want to join you. Let's go. And being enthusiastic and like really participating and engaging in the shopping experience. I don't see that. Um, What I have seen more so is women who are like, yeah, I'll go fishing with you. Let's go. Or women who are like, yeah, I'll go hiking with you. Or women that are like, yeah, I'll go to the races with you or whatever it is, you know. Um, I have seen there's definitely more compromise I feel from what I have observed and the relationships and the marriages that I see there has been more compromise on the woman to um, participate in the interests and the hobbies of her spouse and of her boyfriend than I have seen it on the switch and if that is the relationship that you have and if that's the relationship that you're going to uh, go into then I just would say to you as long as you're happy to do that for the rest of your life, go for it. Otherwise, address that now because long-term, um, it's going to get harder and it's going to be something that <clears throat> will be harder to deal with and harder to accept. Once you have been doing this for 10 years, 5 years, 1 year or 60 years, Um It will be harder and it will get to a point where you may just give up on your interests and your hobbies because it creates an issue, it creates fights, it creates disagreement, it creates distance and as a result, you know what, let me just not do the things that I like. Um, And that's something that I've had to address. Not so much because Stevie created any issues, there was just this sense of we do everything together. Everywhere we go, we go together and if one doesn't want to go, then we just don't go. But I would always be willing to go. I would always be willing to go fishing. I would always be willing to do the things that he interest that interested him. But Stevie was just like not interested in doing my things. And my mistake was that I said, you know what, then I won't go. Where realistically, I should have said, okay, that's cool, honey. I'll see you when I get back. Um, and that is something that I am doing of late, uh, probably in the last maybe three years. Um, I have made the decision that, you know, it's okay for me to do things separate to Stevie um, because it allows me for st- for me to do the things that I really like. I'm an extrovert. Stevie's an introvert. Again, guys, if you're going to get into a new relationship or if you're, go- you're already in a relationship with an introvert and an extrovert, that comes with its challenges and you'll have to navigate through them. And, you know, sometimes it will come with a lot of heartache trying to process that and it comes out with a lot of vulnerability to be able to communicate um, and to find a middle ground uh, because you both do things very differently. So, for example, I would there would be uh, social gatherings out in Bundaberg, which is like an hour from where we live. And Stevie is an introvert. He has no desire to go there. So then I wouldn't go. Where now I'm like, all right, Stevie, cool. There's this social on. There's <clears throat> a concert on or we're all getting together for dinner. It's this day, do you want to come? And he'll be like, I don't really feel like it. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, I'm going, so I'll see you when I get back. Um, and that has created uh, that has created a lot of freedom in the sense that we are okay for, for us to be doing our own thing because we know that it is something that we need. I need 
to get out and socialize and hang out. I love it. I thrive off it. Um, and I have come to accept the fact that Stevie does not thrive off it. And Stevie does not love it and enjoy it. Um, Stevie is more comfortable and happier at home. So I'm willing to let him have his freedom to make the choice that he wants and to, to do what he wants. And, and I do the same. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it. I could go on for so much longer, but I don't think we need. I think you guys have got the gist of just the impact that opposites attracting has and the way that it impacts our ministry, how we work with people within our church and within um, ministries that we may run independently um, and also how it affects our friendships um, and our close friendship bonds and yeah our marriage and our marriage is a lifelong commitment guys like um, we can't just leave someone because they don't want to do the things that we want to do or because maybe they cook differently or they clean differently or they sleep differently like it's lifelong um and I believe that if we can go into it intelligently, if we can go into it assessing and evaluating the things that are opposites, that are black and white, and then also comparing them and putting them up against the things that are in the middle, things that we both are very close, um, closely related to or that we value in the same way, then we can weigh up, can I put up with this contrast of black and white till death do us part do I see myself 30 years from now 40 years from now being able to handle the fact that um, my husband is not physically affectionate how is that going to impact me after 30 years of marriage after 40 years of marriage um, will I be able to deal with that how will I deal with that how can I process that um, so I think that that's the really important thing and and I think another thing that I believe that if we go into this intelligently and not just with our emotions, if we go into relationships, whether it is through ministry, through friendships or through um, marriage, if we can go into these relationships with an intelligent mindset and assessing and evaluating the combination that we are going to create, um, I think it will help us to start off really healthy and to understand ourselves really well. Um, in addition to understanding the other person and when we go into intelligent into this intelligently and not uh, run by our emotions or led by our emotions we will see the red flags and we'll be able to identify them and we'll be able to see what impact that's going to have on our life on our relationships and yeah on on our whole world really what is our life going to look like with these red flags being present um not only that, I think when we go into it intelligently, we'll see the contrast and we'll be like, mm, I don't think I actually want to deal with that for the rest of my life. So, uh, yeah, I believe that if we have the most important things, which are our love language, our interests and our hobbies, when we can have a look at that and if there is space for those areas to have as much in common as possible the rest of the stuff we can sort of work out and again if you're if it's an introvert and an extrovert remember that that's going to bring about a lot of challenges if, if you're going to be if it's two extroverts are going to be together you're always going to want to go out to social interact like outings you're always going to want to go um to socials and parties and all that sort of stuff so there's never going to be that i want to stay home and do nothing compared to and, and you might find that, like, there are days where I don't want to go out. Um, so even in that, there is a bit of introvert in me. But, but I thrive, like, I really enjoy being an extrovert. And sometimes the only reason why I want to stay home is because I've been out for, like, the whole week hanging out with all my friends. Um, so that, that, yeah, take all that into consideration. And I believe that when the Bible says, you know, don't be, um, don't go into marriage and be unequally yoked, not only is that in a spiritual content content like context not only is it spiritual in nature like don't marry and go into marriage with someone who does has a different belief system as you but i believe don't be unequally yoked can be applicable to so many more areas don't be unequally yoked in the way that you demonstrate and the way that you receive love uh, in the way that your interests are like if someone likes going outdoors and you like always being inside that's going to create some issues if your interest is going shopping and walking around in the mall for five hours 
but your spouse likes to go out and be in nature, there's going to create a a conflict of interest because you guys like different things. And to push the other one into one area and push the other one into the other area, it's going to take a lot of negotiating. It's going to take maybe a lot of arguments, a lot of issues in order for that compromise to come about. If you haven't already agreed to the compromise prior to getting into a relationship or becoming friends or becoming boyfriend and girlfriend um so yeah so that's it all right guys i feel i'm just going to keep going on and on um so yeah um may your may your relationships not be so black and white um and if they are um may the most important things the foundations of a good relationship and a good friendship and a good ministry business relationship May the most important things be in the middle. May you both be in that gray area. And then the black and white stuff won't be so bad. All right, guys, until next episode, my prayer, my hope, and my desire is that you stay warm in God's love, you stay cool for Jesus' name, and that you stay balanced and in the middle with the Holy Spirit. All right, see you guys. We'll see you next week.